Hey guys, this is episode two, the second half of my conversation with Martin about the incoming crisis of leadership in the church, the lack of young ministers that we have, the aging uh, current minister population, why we're having issues kind of handing off the torch from boomer and Gen Xer leaders to millennial and Gen Z leaders in the church and kind of what we can potentially do about that. And that's the really important part of this episode. We're going to spend over half of this episode talking about potential solutions, what normal people in the pews can do to keep their pastor around and to make sure that future generations will have enough pastors to lead all of our churches, which right now does not look like a guarantee. So make sure you stick around until the end of the episode, or if you're really in a time crunch, at least listen to the end of the episode, even if you're not going to listen to the rest of it, because that solution part, that's the part that really matters. What are we going to do about all this? Thanks for joining us here today, and let's get into it. I know plenty of people who are committed to small church ministry. Uh, Kenny lives in Forest City, fertile, uh, little town, called to that ministry. He, I talked to him just a couple weeks ago, and he said he doesn't want to leave. Awesome. Chuck. Um, Chuck lives in Zeering, Iowa, which is just up by me. Uh, works at a little church, little restoration movement church. Uh He's been there for 20 years because that's what he feels called to. And Mike, my senior pastor, who I'm also going to tell a story about in a little bit, has been at North Grand for almost 20 years now in multiple roles. But the story I want to tell about him is how he got to where he is. So, um, and it's, it's the Walmart theory, right? Or it's the Walmart strategy. You hire someone at an entry-level position, and you let them work their way up. So, Walmart it doesn't 20 years ago, maybe. It doesn't always work. Yeah. So, here's what happens. It's the Chick-fil-A strategy. You can actually do that at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike got hired in 2005 as the associate pastor, which is the role that I fill right now. He got told by the senior pastor as he was getting hired that he wanted to do about four years so that he could train Mike to be the senior pastor and get him ready and also finish off some of the stuff that he was working on. He said, okay, I'll do it. Mike is not a youth ministry guy. There are youth ministry guys out there. And this is part of the, part of the, um, the issue that I see is people use positions to get leverage, but they don't use the right positions. Youth ministry is not a stepping stone. And if you consider ministry to teenagers, a stepping stone, you shouldn't be in it. For anyone that is out there like what is he talking about i was told multiple times by individuals at a very notable restoration movement large church that will remain nameless because i don't feel like slandering someone and i don't want to get sued that if i came and trained with them after i got out of my undergrad that the only way that i would ever be approved to be on a stage is if i did youth ministry and i said but i don't think i'm good at that i've tried it i did it for a summer i'm not good at it I want to be a senior minister. I want to work with adults or discipleship minister. I don't have to be the guy in charge, but I want to work with adults. And they said, well, this is just what you do. You do youth ministry and you prove that you can do ministry and then we'll, we'll promote you and let you work with adults. So they were literally, and this is a giant church. And they were like, well, kids are a stepping stone. 
and you need to work with them. And if you suck, then at least it's just with kids. Yeah. Which is absolutely freaking disgusting. It and is. And you should not operate that way. That's not the way Jesus talked about kids either. No, it's not. But I'm going to continue the story. So Mike got told four years, four years for me to train you. You'll, you'll work with the kids because that's a need we need filled. It wasn't like, well, you can work with the kids and prove yourself. He said, four years, I will train you to do my job. We have a hole that needs filled. Okay. Four years come down. 2009, he doesn't retire. The senior minister that Mike was working with. Yes. Yeah. And he's starting to go, well, what's going on? Towards the end of the year, he says, are you retiring? And he says, no, not this year. He says, no, not this year for four more years. That's four more years that he was there on a on a hook basically he was being reeled in to stay and finally he left but this is what was wild he didn't leave town he didn't leave the church when he retired he stayed there which creates a power dynamic because you were the senior pastor for so long and you're still around so now whenever i have a problem i'm coming to you because i know Mm -hmm. you and i trust you yeah for four more years he stayed in town and just caused issues with it. And so part of part of what has to happen is people have to recognize when they're getting too old for what they're doing. And I don't mean this to be like rude to anybody, but there are some people who are too old to be doing what they're doing. My mm-hmm. my grandfather is 85 years old and he cuts his own wood because his house runs with a fir- uh, wood fire furnace. So he cuts his own wood at 85 years old. He is too old to be swinging an axe. Why are we pretending that the same thing doesn't happen anywhere else? I'm going to use that illustration. Please do. Next time that I get to speak at a conference, I'm going to be like, some of you guys, you're still in the pulpit, but you're too old to be swinging an axe. (laughs) That's kind of where I wanted to go with that was people have to recognize when they're no longer not when they're no longer effective, but when they're better fit somewhere else, Mm -hmm. they have to figure that out themselves. That has to be the first step. The second step has to be actually stepping down. I don't think they need to figure it out themselves. Like, I mean, they need to admit it, Yeah. but also just a church being brave enough to walk up to someone. And this isn't always just an age thing to say, Hey, you were amazing, but you're not what we need anymore. Or to say, Hey, we hired you for this job, but look like, this has not worked out the way that any of us pictured it working out. And, and that's a lot that of churches hire them. Like yeah. if you're large enough to be able to afford to have multiple staff, like sometimes that means you go, Hey, you're not doing too great with worship ministry, but you've really connected with our high schoolers. Can you run our youth ministry? We have an opening there. Can you just move over or mm-hmm. some, and I've seen this done well uh, at very large churches granted, where there's a senior minister who stepped down but didn't want to retire but knew he couldn't run the church anymore. And so he ended up getting put in charge of discipleship. So he was one of their ministry leaders under their new senior minister. And there's a long transition process. And like, and I actually got to meet and interview him and ask him. It was a church that I had interned at and like talk to him about the process. And his biggest thing was as long as both senior ministers, the one stepping down and the one coming in, are humble and are willing to be each other's biggest supporters, then you can do that. And that's actually awesome because then you have this like really loving, continuous community that's always supporting each other. And there's no p- weird power dynamics because the <laughs> senior ministers are like, nah, we don't play that game. 
Martin, this is one of these conversations that I think we wanted to have when we started the podcast where we're like, hey, we have conversations about like the church and theology and stuff like that. And we argue and we go back and forth and we bounce ideas off each other. And what if we just let people listen to that? And this has been one of those. This is a phone conversation. We're just recording it, basically, because we do have other people listening. I want to give them a little hope <laughs> that you don't have to wait for the church to just fall apart in the U.S. and everyone to get desperate for things to get better. I hope that's not what happens. What can we do? What can your normal person in the pews, whether they're just someone who shows up on Sunday and volunteers where they can, uh, or someone who, you know, is a ministry leader or someone who is a staff member, but they're not like a senior minister or someone who's an elder, whoever's listening to this, there's someone who cares about their church and they're to some degree meaningfully involved. What can they do to help with this problem of, Preachers are getting older and older. We're not training enough of them. Small churches are having a lot of trouble hanging on to the good ones that they trained up because they keep getting stolen by bigger churches. How can someone, especially at a small church, I think most of the people who listen to this probably attend small churches. What can they do to help to defend their church, to keep their minister around, to help train up new ones? What, what can they do? So I have a couple of solutions. First, Jason. You have to answer this question as well. Do you feel pretty valued in November during Pastor Appreciation Month? Are you trying to get me in trouble? No. You're supposed um, to say yes. More valued than normal anyways. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I don't recall ever, like, really processing that it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Like, it's just another month. And I'll also admit, November's a bad month in our calendar for me. That's because crazy. we're finishing up our financial planning because I try to give December off for my elders. And then we go right in the holiday season. So my elders hopefully get that off most of the time. But then I'm busy with Christmas. And then I'm going into January where I'm instituting our new financial year and whatever ministry goals we have. So I have like three months in a row every year where I'm working 60 hours a week. Okay. So let me explain where I was going with this because you clearly don't feel the same way I do. In my church during November... Everybody does Pastor Appreciation Month for Mike and I, which is great. Makes us feel valued. Everyone, usually it's like, hey, why don't we go out for dinner or something? Or why don't we hang out some? Or every once in a while, there's like a gift like this year. Uh, Nathaniel, who went to Bible college with Jason and I. I love Nathaniel. He bought He's me so a Game cool. Boy. Oh. And like all original Pokemon games. <laughs> I was like, I love like this. the nerdiest thing ever, but I love it. That's hilarious. It was. He said, I found this on Amazon and I was thinking of you. And I don't know that it was for Pastor Appreciation Month. Like, I don't think it was like, oh, it's Appreciation Month. Better make sure he feels good. Yeah. I think he genuinely was just, I love Martin. And I saw this and I thought it would be really cool. And if we had people who responded like that more, not just in November, then I think it would go a long way to keep people in their churches yeah and that's not just like uh don't hear us and be like are they saying we have to bribe them to keep them <laughs> like that's not yes we're saying do something to show appreciation like whether that's you know hey i i'll give you a great example that has lived rent free in my head forever in the best possible way during my like introductory not really sermon it was more like a little interview and they're like at the end they asked me a lot of serious questions 
like it was an actual recorded one after I'd been hired so that people could get to know me, asked me a lot of serious questions, but then asked me like a bunch of silly quick fire questions at the end, just so that people would get to know kind of who I am, you know, what's your favorite hobbies? What's your favorite foods? Whatever. And I said, my favorite dessert is cheesecake. It is. Love it. Love cheesecake. Can't make it to save my life. I've tried, but a good cheesecake makes me very happy. This lady named Lisa in our church, like months later, she was kind of in and out because her husband and her mom were both having health issues. And she shows up one day, like during office hours in the middle of the week, because she's retired. And she has this Walmart bag. And she said, hey, I'm going to go put this in the freezer in the back for you. And I'm like, what is it? Like, what's going on? And she said, oh, you said a couple of months ago that you love cheesecake. So I bought you a cheesecake. And it was just like a frozen like Marie Callender cheesecake. But like. It was the greatest thing ever, not because it was an amazing cheesecake, it's used by Walmart, but like because someone remembered something I said months ago and was like, oh, here's this like eight dollar cheesecake. And it was just like, that's so sweet. I love that. Or I have another lady in my congregation that remembered that I mentioned that we're trying me and Maggie are playing with the idea of making a garden. We're growing our own herbs and stuff like that. And she said, hey, I have this apple tree in my yard. And me and my husband don't want to deal with it. Like, we don't really want to tend it. But we know you guys eat healthy. You like growing your own food and knowing where it comes from. If you want to, like, come and, like, tend the apple tree, you can just take whatever comes off of it. And it was really just a little remembering something about me and then just engaging me, you know? Pretending that we're real people. Yes. Yeah. And those little things, even if it didn't cost you a cent, Sending a text in the middle of the week, not just walking up after the sermon and saying, hey, good sermon, pastor, and then leaving, but sending a text in the middle of the week that says, hey, I was praying and I was reminded of something you said in the sermon. That tells me you care enough to listen to me. That feels amazing. And we remember those kinds of things. We do. I will also put the asterisk of when someone decides to be a jerk to us, it takes a lot of those good moments to outweigh it because those bad ones just hit heavier. And I... I think that's just the way people are. I don't think that's a pastor thing. I think it's a person thing. Uh, I do want to throw this out too. I'm not saying that people don't support either of us where we are. What we're saying is you have to say something or do something. Mm -hmm. Because usually the people who support your pastor the most are the people who don't cause problems. Yeah. But there are so many problems we have to deal with that it just gets ignored. Yeah. Usually the angry people are the loud people. Exactly. And that's honestly at my church. I know I have a lot of supporters and some of them are vocal supporters. A a few of them are very vocal, but also like I'm getting kind of like worked up because I'm thinking of churches I used to work at, or I'm thinking of certain seasons where things were hard and I wish people had been more vocally supportive, or I'm thinking of friends of ours that are not as lucky that have no vocal supporters in their church. Mm -hmm that will call me or text me. And I mean, I've had friends over the last couple of months, at least two friends tell me that they were thinking about quitting ministry entirely. And that's just, no, that shouldn't be happening. And it was because of people in their church that were being exceedingly difficult. So we're saying, if you think your pastor is someone you want to keep around, Find some sort of opportunity to support them to a compliment goes a long way. I'll add to that kind of similar compliment them when they're not around. I call this gossiping positive 
you want people to gossip positive about you. You want people to, I mean, the Proverbs talk about it, right? To not praise yourself with your own lips, but rather to allow someone else to. And that's a very rough paraphrase. <laughs> but when your pastor's not around, take the opportunity, especially family members, close friends that go to the church, to just say, you know, I really appreciate how, how Martin spends so much time with our kids. Hey, I, I really, I like how Jason teaches because he can t like teach us Hebrew and Greek words and it actually makes sense. Or, you know, I really love how like Bryce wants so badly to spend time with people when, when they're sick or when they're hurting and he goes out of his way to do that, you know, and you don't, don't lie. Like if your pastor's a bad preacher, don't lie and say they are. Everyone's going to know you're lying. But like find something they do that you actually appreciate and then just tell people, I really like that our pastor does that. That can go a long way, too, because maybe you're going to say that to someone who is having an issue with us. And maybe they're going to step back and go, you know, what? you're right. They're not a bad person. I'm just frustrated right now. And that might save us a lot of heartache and help us resolve things a lot faster than we would otherwise. So gossip positively about your pastor. So remind me the question, because I think I had a second thing, but I don't remember what it was. What can you do to either keep your pastor around to help resolve the lack of supply that we have, uh, the lack of pastor supply? So either one of those, what can you do, like help the church make more leaders? What can you do to keep your leader from leaving? We talked about keeping our leaders where they are. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk. That's a solution for that. There's also a solution, it's a solution. for. I actually do have another There's one others. there. Do you just want to go back and forth a little? Let's stay. Have you do yours, and then okay. we'll do. You do one of us, one of us, one of us, one of us. If that makes sense. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. So the other thing, I think the other big thing, and people, they're not going to like. Some of you won't like hearing this. Some of you are going to hear it and immediately understand. Make sure your pastor is compensated well. And I don't mean make Preach. sure they're wealthy. That's not what I mean. Like, we don't need to be making, you know, crazy Preach. amounts of money and living in mansions and whatever. But I forgot the. I was at a conference a couple, maybe two months ago, three months ago that I had. I They gave me a closet and let me teach like a breakout session in so I filled that closet up, but it was not the biggest room they had available for a reason. But the main the main stage speaker is a guy named Bob Russell, who some of you might recognize. He was megachurch pastor at Southeast. Uh, he just kind of does circuits now. He's semi-retired. He was speaking, and I think it was the last session he did. Then he gave a statistic on what percentage of churches in our movement offer health insurance for their pastors. And it was like 70 or 80% don't. Now, keep in mind, health insurance for a healthy 20-year-old, for me, is like five $600 a month. So I would have to, and I am salary-wise paid pretty fairly, especially for the area that I'm in. But I would have to give up like over a fourth of my take-home income to have health insurance. I can't afford that. Huh? My church only covers 80% of mine. 80% of your health insurance? Yep. Lucky. which is great yeah like that's awesome yeah that is awesome that's so we don't receive benefits we get paid what we get paid and then there's there's a 
tax code thing that we can like set part of it aside for paying our mortgage and pay less taxes. That's moderately helpful, but that's a government thing. Uh, it's not a thing the church does. It's just a weird thing clergy are allowed to do for whatever reason. But just making sure that your pastor, you know, do they have health insurance? Do they have retirement? Are they getting paid fairly? You know, like those are concerns that you should have. Because again, what I said earlier, I hate the fact that so many times a small church lets a young pastor cut their teeth. And then 10, 15 years in, a big church offers them a role and they leave. And a big part of that reason frequently is the big church comes along and says, oh, you're getting paid $40,000 and you have two master's degrees. We'll pay you 70 and give you health insurance and a simple IRA. And like, yeah, most people are going to take that, especially if you have children. Like you have family members you have to think about. So like, I'm not saying like, depending on where you live, 70 is either a lot or very little. Those are just random numbers I was throwing out there. It's like 70 in our area is like quite a bit of money, but 70 in like Blacksburg, Virginia, where I grew up is not that much money. So it just depends on where you are. The point being, make sure your pastor is being paid fairly for where you are. Make sure that they actually have health care. Make sure that they have enough that they can save for retirement. Like you should want your pastor to be able to live a normal lifestyle, not extravagant, but you also shouldn't want them to be lower class. Like they should be able to own a home. They should be able to go on a vacation from time to time, a reasonable one. They should be able to retire in their 60s. Like you should want that for the leadership of your church. They should also be able to take care of their family. So health insurance Mm -hmm. for them, awesome. But especially a while ago, there were less and less pastor's wives who were working. They can't Mm -hmm. have health insurance if they aren't working. Mm -hmm. So maybe include for family because there's a lot of places that do take care of families uh when i worked at central me maddie and any of my dependents were able to get health insurance through the school completely covered Mm -hmm. which is awesome Uh, that's like a normal thing in other places i was on my mom's insurance growing up 15 years ago it was really normal to offer insurance for families health vision dental all of it Granted, everything's more expensive now. Your pastor's family shouldn't have to suffer because they chose to go into ministry. They shouldn't have to not be able to get the lump checked out because they can't afford to. Because Mm -hmm. it's not the husband's name on the bill. Yeah. So, And that's actually another, like especially when he mentions kids there, like families suffering because the parent chose to do ministry. So they're not making enough money. They don't have good benefits, whatever. Like that's part of how you solve the ministry pipeline issue is by not treating pastors so poorly that their family members who are statistically much more likely to go into ministry, their children, like pastors, kids are more likely to be pastors than non-pastors kids. If you treat that family well, some of those kids are going to be like, man, I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. I want to be a pastor when I grow up. If you treat that family horribly, you're lucky if those kids even stay in church. Yep. So not just financially, but also like socially treat their children. Well, make sure their children are taken care of that. They're being loved on by your community. And that's going to help solve the supply line issue because those kids are going to see, Oh, ministry can be a wonderful thing. And it can be, but it's not going to feel like it. If your dad or your mom's being treated poorly or you're impoverished because they're not being compensated. Well, yeah. So I want to hop to the other, the other solution supply line. How do, how do you, 
raise up new new leaders. So I loved this. Um, when I was working at the Chinese church, I was in admissions at the same time. So I felt like obligated to ask the youth kids, are you guys thinking about going into ministry? Are you guys considering this at all? Every single one of them laughed at me. I did the same thing here at North Grand. Every single one of them laughed at me because there's no way they would ever consider you going into ministry. Why? Because of the way that we talk about it. Because of the way the ministers are exhausted every time they go in. If you're a parent and you say, man, we're broke, but at least we ain't the pastor. That's part of why people don't want to go into ministry. I want to know how many people have that conversation. That feels like a very strange thing to say at dinner. You know My I mean? parents like, said Sir, that. this is a Wendy's. <laughs> My parents said that. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, I say that because I know people have said it out loud because I heard it. Fair enough. Like, there are so many people who are like, man, we don't make any, any money. But you know who makes less? The people who work for Jesus. When you think of ministry, the first thing that ends up getting talked about is there's no money in it. Yeah, that is true. And like, we aren't saying that, again, pastors shouldn't be rich. Like, they should not be. Like, it's really disgusting when you have a pastor, it's like a multi-millionaire. No, that's not, not what we're talking about. We're just saying, like, pastors should be, unless they're in an area where it's just not realistic. I guess some places are just very poor. But otherwise, these are highly educated individuals who know they're sacrificing money to serve the church. They should at least be comfortable, if at all possible. And like I said, changing the way that we talk about it is important. Because look look at what your pastors do every week. Actually look at it. You know how many people have asked me what I do all week when it's not Sunday? I'm sure Jason gets the same question all the time. What do you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? What do you do? I actually just... I don't get that question at my church. And I don't know if it's just because of the culture that was here and I got here or because I do have a few vocal supporters that see my calendar and are like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So maybe they just catch it for me. I don't know. But I don't get that question. But don't. Don't talk about your pastor as if they work once a week mm-hmm. because they're not. Nobody yeah. wants to be talked about that way. Yeah. And this raises up like, so you can be realistic. Like with the financing, you can be realistic and be like, yeah, there's not a lot of money in that career. Mm-hmm. But there should there should be a but on the end of the sentence. But there is eternal reward. But they are doing wonderful things for the church. But they are making Jesus proud. You know, like, Make sure that there are big buts at the end of your sentence. Please keep that in. So that, that brings up uh, something that Matt Proctor and a uh, webinar that I was sitting in on uh, that he was. In. So Matt Proctor is the leader of a Christian college called Ozark Christian College that one of my friends and former academic advisors, Jason Posnick, works at. I know several people that have attended there as well. Matt Proctor was doing this webinar about what can churches do to raise up the next generation of pastors. And one of the things he said was, uh, who are your heroes? Who are you raising up as heroes in your congregation? Because you should be teaching young people to admire missionaries and pastors that have done wonderful things for the kingdom to see them as heroes. You know, we need our young people to grow up looking up to people like 
Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham, I know, has issues, but like he did a lot of good too. Uh, or grow up looking up to people like Mother Teresa, whoever. I would say, as a like, if you're a parent, who are you raising up as heroes for your children? Who do you want them looking up to? Because many of us, we encourage them to look up to celebrities. We encourage them to look up to you know football players and actresses and whatever. Hmm. Are you encouraging them to look up to that youth minister that's going so out of their way to try to spend time with them? Are you encouraging them to look up to that deacon at church that, yeah, it's not his vocational job, but man, he loves that church and he serves so well. Are you raising up those kinds of people as examples for your children to look up to? Are you making them heroes in your household? That's if, if you start doing that, not just with your kids, but with the kids that you work at at church with, you know, whoever, with kids that are involved in Christian community. And teaching them to be like, hey, the, these ministers are people we should look up to and we should want to be like, then that's going to inspire some young people to say, no, I do want to be like them. I want to do what they're doing. Exactly. I think I think the only other thing I would add really quickly is just like if you're a small church, don't be afraid to take a chance on a young pastor early. So church that I'm currently serving at. And again, I love this church and we've done good things here and we are growing slowly, but we're in a dying town and we're growing and that just doesn't happen. So that's really awesome to see. But there's a 10 month gap between the guy before me and me getting hired. And like I said, I know the job was offered to, I think at least two other people. It was either outright offered or they were about to offer and the person backed out. I'm not sure which, but at least two, maybe three. And I was told they were looking for someone who was a couple decades older than me. If you get, and I don't know, I don't know what applications they got. Obviously, I was not a part of that process. I was still in my senior year of Bible college. If you get a good applicant fresh out of Bible college in the first round of applications, don't be afraid to hire them. Like, be realistic. They're young. And especially if you're hiring for a senior leadership position, like you should rightfully be cautious of someone with no work experience. <laughs> Granted, most Bible college graduates do have work experience. We usually work at churches while we're going to school, but at any rate, be rightfully cautious, but don't see the age and immediately throw them in the no pile. Just give the young people a chance. And then once they're there, be their friend, like legitimately be their friend, find common interests, go fishing with them, ask, you know, tell them they can come out to your property and go hunting. If they're into video games, have them over and kick their butt at 2K, like whatever. Be I friends. Kick your butt at 2K. I don't think you've ever beaten me at 2K, but whatever. I just won a huge tournament at our church in 2K, so. Huge, like three people in Eight. a cornfield in the middle of Iowa. Anyways. Be friends with them because even if you can't pay what the other church can pay, even if you can't give the platform the other church can give, if you are friends with that pastor, I would give up like I love Martin to death. And I think both of us would sacrifice some pay if it was as long as our families were still cared for. We'd sacrifice a little bit in discretionary income for the chance to work with each other because we like each other. It would be really cool to live near one another. It'd be great to be able to go out to dinner together. I would love to be able to see Sailor more often. So like friendship is a powerful force that can keep someone nearby. And since we're talking about ministers, being friends with your minister, even if they do move on, if the perception you've given them of the people they serve is when I'm in a church, people will love me. 
they're going to stay ministers, even if it's not at your church. But if the perception they get is when I am in a church, the people in the pews exist to make my life difficult and to hurt me emotionally and to insult my family and whatever, they're going to quit. And I already have at least one friend who is, he told me he was taking a break, not a close friend of mine, but someone that I, I, I know from school who said he was taking a break for ministry. I'm not sure it's a break. I think he's just going to quit. I oh, sorry. Two. Actually, two. I forgot. There was one that was more recent. Mm -hmm. And so they're both saying, hey, we're just taking breaks because of the way that we've been treated. But man, like, and that's quick. Graduated not quite four years ago. And we already have two in our very tiny graduating class that were just like, nope, I can't deal with this. I hope they both come back around, but they might not. So be friends with your pastor. Love your pastor. Because if you don't, you're going to teach them that the people in the pews are my enemies. They're not my friends. And you're going to drive them not only out of your church, you're going to drive them out of the church and i'm sorry but i do think you're gonna have to answer for that one day you're gonna have to stand in front of jesus and explain to jesus why you treated them that way or why you stood by and let others do it so be friends with your pastor love them gossip positive about them do everything in your power to make sure that they are socially and financially treated well and talk well about them to your kids because those kids might be the next generation of preacher and you want them to have a positive idea of what ministry life can be like when you're in the right place. Martin, do we have anything else to add to that? I think I summarized everything we mentioned. I think we're good. All right, guys, this is a little bit different than what we normally do. Different topic that's maybe a little more niche, uh, but one that definitely matters for the church, for any church, because we all need leaders. Most of us need vocational leaders that can give us 40, 60, sometimes 80 hours a week, just making sure that things are operating, that things are going the way they're supposed to go. So we really appreciate you listening. And we hope that you kind of saw behind the curtain a little bit to how pastors think about these sorts of things and some of the issues that maybe a lot of people in our pews are un unfamiliar with or unaware of. Uh, and we hope that you understand that we firmly believe that the people listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this, it's probably because you care about your church, you know, because you're taking the time to learn stuff like this. Or people like you can have a positive impact on the future of vocational ministry in the church in the United States. So go out there and do go treat your pastor. Well, go encourage your elders to do the same. I mean, you can you can make a difference, at least in one minister's life. And that's going to matter to a lot of people that they affect. And you can make a difference in two ministers' lives right now by giving us five stars on Spotify <laughs> and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're ending on that note. We'll see you guys back here next week. Mm -hmm.